might want to turn to Psalm 23. The words will be on the screen this morning. We're back in Psalm 23. We began in verse 1 last week, and we will continue into verses 2 and 3 this morning. There's a lot here. King David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, now, again, as we approach this psalm, your word, your inspired, inerrant word, God, we pray that we would get a glimpse of our shepherd, of our Lord this morning, that we would see his provision, his faithfulness as the covenant God of Israel God, I pray that you would stir our hearts, that we might as well not only just know your provisions, but that we might, Lord, seek to be holy as you are holy, to be like you, to walk as Christ walked, and to do so for your glory. God, thank you for the power of the Spirit that works within us, that illuminates the word that causes us to rest in your word, in your promises, to find peace. Lord, he is the spirit of peace. So this morning, we do not depend upon the way things are said, even the effort that's put forth but we depend upon your spirit to bring understanding, illumination, to apply it to our hearts, to cause us to rest in you with all of our hearts. Lord, I pray blessings on each one here, blessings that only come from you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God has given us beautiful metaphors to reveal his relationship to his people. He is our creator. We are his creatures. He is our father. We are his children. He is our king, and we are his kingdom subjects. He is the alpha and the omega, and we are set in time. He is the potter, and we are the clay. He is our rock, our fortress our deliverer, our savior. He is our judge. He is the son 
and or our son and our shield. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. He's the morning star. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of Jesse and the root of David. He is the son of David. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the spirit who indwells the church. He and the person of Christ is our groom and we are his bride. He is the head and we are the body. He is the vine and we are the branches. These are just a few, just an inkling of the metaphors of the relationship between God and his people. But here in Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. That's the metaphor. According to the Gospels, Jesus Christ is Yahweh. We see that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, referring back to Isaiah chapter 40. But he is our good shepherd. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd, and he has given his life for his sheep. In Psalm 23, David begins with a declaration, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh is the name of the God of Israel, his covenant name, his personal name, and his holy name. His name is Yahweh, meaning the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient one. He is the shepherd that people desperately need. Oh, how people need Yahweh as their shepherd. David declared, Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh was David's personal shepherd. Not some God like the God of the nations, but the true covenant God of Israel, the creator. Yahweh knew him personally. He knew David's needs. He knew his helplessness. He knew his tendency to wonder He knew David's fears, and David knew that without Yahweh, he was like a sheep without a shepherd, without care or provision or guidance or protection or blessing or purpose and without an eternal home. You see, Yahweh is a personal covenant-keeping shepherd who cares for his sheep, and we see that intimacy here in this psalm. In verse 1, it's as if David is saying, look at my shepherd. He is Yahweh. He is the I am, the unchanging, the uncaused, the ungoverned. Again, the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient one. Yahweh is my personal shepherd, David says, and he is enough. Notice at the end of verse 1, that we looked at as well last week. David tells us what it means to know the Lord as his shepherd. David says, excuse me, Yahweh is my shepherd. The Lord or Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. All that we could ever need is found in a relationship with the Lord, our shepherd. Folks, he is more than enough. He provides an abundance of spiritual blessings. After all, he's not like the gods of the nations who cannot speak, who cannot see, who cannot hear, who cannot smell or feel or walk, who cannot even make a sound. He is the eternal self-existing one who cares for, provides for, guides, protects, blesses, and promises his sheep 
a forever home. David said in Psalm 34, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Isn't that what David is saying in Psalm 23? When he writes, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He means that there's no lack in him, that he provides all, everything that his sheep could ever need. You see, Yahweh loves his sheep. He has given his life for his sheep. He is the good shepherd who provides for, cares for, protects, and blesses his sheep. Hear the words of David again. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Yahweh, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will, by your grace, we could add, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you hear it? In verses 2 through 6, David reveals what he means by, I shall not want. David is saying that with Yahweh as his shepherd, he lacks absolutely nothing. All his needs are found in Yahweh. This heavenly shepherd is like no other because of who he is. Of course, we know that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We know that he loves his sheep and provides for them. He is everything that they could ever need. The sons of Korah said in Psalm 84, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. James, the apostle James writes in chapter 1, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, while the lights of the celestial bodies are varying and shifting the goodness of God and his blessings. They never vary. They never shift. You see, here's why. Because in him, there is no darkness at all. Only pure light, only truth and holiness, only goodness comes from Yahweh to his sheep. He is the good shepherd. The words of Thomas Ken from the 17th century burst with thanksgiving for God's abundant blessings, and you know it well. Praise him from all, from whom, start over, praise him from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host, even the angels in heaven. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All good things come from Him. 
All blessings come from the Father of lights. Understand also, even the unconverted receive blessings from the Lord. You see, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But folks, through a relationship with the Good Shepherd, we have blessings that go far beyond common grace. We shall not want, David writes. We shall not lack any good thing because all that we need is found in Yahweh. It's found in the Lord. Of course, we're to trust the Lord for our physical needs, and he faithfully provides. Does not, does he not feed the ravens and cause the lilies to grow? Therefore, he will not leave his children begging for bread. But the focus here of David's words is not physical. It's spiritual. In verses 2 through 6, we've read it twice already. David speaks of these provisions. He exposits all that Yahweh does for his sheep. And David writes in verses 2 and 3, once again, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So he begins with these words. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. What are these green pastures in the wilderness of this world? They are the Holy Scriptures. They are the word of truth. This is where the good shepherd takes his sheep. Just as God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where all was provided for them. The good shepherd makes his sheep to lie down in green pastures. Isn't green pastures a lovely figure of speech for the scriptures? The Hebrew word green, deshi, refers to the first spring shoots of vegetation from the earth. It's tender grass, tender vegetation. It's spring grass that clothes the meadows as a delicacy for the sheep. So here's the picture. The good shepherd takes his sheep to green pastures to a spring meadow lush with fresh spring vegetation. And once they are fed, they lie down and rest. It is through lush provision that they rest. What a picture of the word of God. God's word, God's words are always fresh always rich, tender, and satisfying, and they're never exhausted. The Lord's sheep feed upon the rich truths of God's word until they lie down in them, until they rest in the truths of God, until they rest in the promises of God, until they rest in God's provisions. You see, the word of God is a delight to God's sheep. Sweet and satisfying are the doctrines of the gospel, Spurgeon wrote. They are fit for the soul as well, just as tender grass is the needed nutrient for the sheep. So are the truths of God for the believer's soul, for the sheep. These truths of Yahweh are where we find satisfaction, and they are where we find rest. But notice something else here. Can I get water? He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
It is the Lord who graciously makes his sheep lie down. He enables us, in other words, to perceive the preciousness of his truth and to feed upon it and then to rest upon the promises. It is through God-given faith that we're enabled to appropriate these truths and then rest in them. How grateful ought we to be that God provides spiritual nutrition, all that we need that brings rest to the soul. He enables us to appropriate his good and precious promises to lie down in them, resting in our shepherd's provisions. That's the picture here. There are some who know God's word, who know God's promises, but they do not find rest in them. Thank you, sugar. Some that know these things, they know God's word, they know the promises of God, but they find no rest in them. They know the green pastures, but they do not lie down in them. With God's help, may we not only know God's promises, may we find rest for our weary souls. May we find rest in the doctrines of the gospel. May it be our hope and our comfort, our true rest. Folks, there is rest in the truth of God. When you know Yahweh, when you know what God has revealed, he has provided the green pastures, and that is where you find rest. It is through the truth that God has revealed, for God has spoken. Notice as we continue, he leads me beside the still waters, David writes. The word still in the Hebrew speaks of resting or resting waters here. Not stagnant, but still quiet waters. What are these still waters? But the graces of God's Spirit. Like resting waters, the Holy Spirit cleanses. He gives refreshment. He gives life. He quenches thirst. He sustains and he gives peace. After promising to send the Holy Spirit, Jesus associates the Spirit with peace when he said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Of course, the Spirit of God gives peace peace with God in salvation, so that we're no longer at enmity, no longer at war with God. But here the idea is the peace of God. It's the stillness of the soul in a world of chaos and turmoil. Oh, how God's people need peace, real peace, peace that comes from God in a time that the world seems like it's falling apart, and it does. Oh, how God's people need the peace of God that passes all understanding The Apostle Paul wrote to those in Colossae, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you have peace this morning as a believer? Or is your focus not on the Lord, not on the truth of God? Is your focus on the things of this world? Notice the third thing in these two verses. He restores my soul, David says. You see, green pastures are rare in Israel. Streams of water are also rare. So the shepherd would take his sheep on long journeys to get to such places. Now, imagine how 
the sheep felt, the condition of the sheep after a long day of wilderness travels, getting to those locations where there was green pastures and still waters. They would be tired, hungry, thirsty, in desperate need of rest. This is the believer's state often as we travel through this life, dealing with all of life's issues, dealing with the problems, the conflicts, the tribulations, the afflictions, the persecutions, even dealing with the sin that dwells in our own flesh. We continually need restoration for our souls. When the soul grows tired, the Lord revives us. He refreshes us. He repairs our hearts and our minds. This is the idea of David's first two statements. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. How does the Lord restore our souls? By the work of the spirit of peace. As he makes us rest in the word of God. Just as the sheep are restored after traveling through the wilderness by being made to lie down in green pastures, by being led beside the still waters, the soul of the believer is revived. It is refreshed. You see, the spirit of peace cleanses us, sustains us, satisfies us, and restores us as he causes us to rest in the truths of God's word. See, there's no rest apart from the doctrines of God. There's no peace apart from the spirit of peace. Understand how desperately we need to be a people of the word. This points us to that very fact, to that truth. The word of God is where God has spoken. If you want to know him, look to the word. That is where the sheep hear his voice. As the spirit of God illuminates the word of God. It is in the word of God through which the spirit leads us. Now notice the goal of God's leading. Verse 3b, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Notice the paths on which the Lord leads his sheep are the paths of righteousness. The good shepherd faithfully guides his sheep into righteous living. You see, as believers... As being Yahweh's own, we are called to be holy as he is holy. If we to follow the Lord, we're led to walk in righteousness. Remember Ephesians, we're to no longer walk as the Gentiles, the unbelieving Gentiles walk, but we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. It's a walk on the righteous path, the narrow path. It's a walk according to the walk of Christ. Sanctification is what we're talking about. It's being set apart. It's becoming more like him. Sanctification is the true believer's journey. It's not an option for us. It's that which we're called to. Although the good shepherd gloriously saves his sheep, guaranteeing us a a heavenly home, doesn't he? And giving us positional righteousness. He does not leave us where we're at at the moment that we're born again. No, he leads me, as David said, in the paths of righteousness. He doesn't drag us down these paths. No, he leads us. He does not need to drag us, does he? 
Why? Because at the moment of salvation, the Spirit regenerates us. He gives us life. He gives us new hearts. He gives us the desire to please him and to walk as Christ walked. That's the evidence of a true believer. So while it's the Lord that leads us in the paths of righteousness, we, with willing, joyous hearts, cooperate, don't we? We, with hearts no longer set against him, as we were before salvation, but now toward him, join in this progress of sanctification by which we are being progressively conformed to his image. You see, the image of God in us lost through Adam is restored through Jesus Christ. We see this principle in a very key passage when it comes to sanctification, where Paul spoke to those in Philippi in chapter 2. Paul writes this way, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is sanctification, part of salvation. It's progressive salvation, we could say. But look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, salvation is intentional on God's part. Every believer will ultimately be sanctified. No one is left behind. But sanctification must be intentional on our parts. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What did Paul write to those in Thessalonica? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's the path of the Christian life. That's where God is leading every believer. And if you're a true believer in him, you're on that path of progressive sanctification, being conformed to the image of Christ. Finally, notice the goal of this sanctification. In the last part of verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Sanctification is certainly for our good. There's no question about that. But the believer's sanctification, as is all of our salvation, is ultimately for his namesake. Spurgeon writes this, all this is done out of pure free grace for his namesake. It is to the honor of our great shepherd that we should be a holy people walking in the narrow way of righteousness. And isn't that the desire? Not that we don't struggle at times, but isn't this the genuine desire of every true believer to bring honor and glory to the one who saved us? to Yahweh, our good shepherd, who has given his life for his sheep. He loves his sheep, and he died in our place. So I ask you this morning, are you on this path of sanctification? It's not optional. If you have been justified, you are being sanctified. Sometimes it's a rocky journey. Getting to those green pastures, 
getting to those still waters, going through this life is not easy. Going through this process of sanctification and all that that entails is not easy, but you are on the path if you're truly born again. And if you're not being sanctified, it's evidence that you've never been justified. Are you on the path of sanctification? Are you cooperating in the Lord's leading in the paths of righteousness? Or are you at times being led by the flesh? Are you right now a stubborn sheep? Repentance is not just something that occurs at the time of salvation. Repentance continues throughout the life of a believer. So I challenge you, if you're a stubborn sheep, repent. Cooperate with God's good and perfect purpose to be that we would be holy as he is holy. That is our call. That is his plan, and he will accomplish his plan in all his sheep. Or maybe this morning you're outside the fold of God altogether. You have yet to trust the one who died for you. Ladies and gentlemen, the word of God, David, through the word of God presents to you the good shepherd who has given his life for the sheep. We've heard it many times, and we will hear it again here at Cornerstone. But 700 years prior to the Lord's death on the cross, Isaiah prophesied, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And if you don't think that you've ever gone astray in your life, if you don't see your sinfulness, if you don't think that you need a saving shepherd, just test yourself by the law. Can you even find, I mean, in honesty, can you even find one of the Ten Commandments by which you have kept perfectly? Can you find any of God's law in which you've really obeyed with your whole heart? If you think you have, Jesus tells you, then sell all your possessions and give to the poor. It's through these words that you will discover that your love of possessions is greater than your love for God. That you have not loved him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, the law reveals that we have all sinned. And all fall short, fallen short of the glory of God, all of us, every one of us. But there's more to it. You know, as I've gone out through the years of sharing Christ on the street with people, or in the park, or on the beach, or different places, it's almost, almost everyone will say, yes, I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed God. But those people rarely understand the penalty for sin because God is a holy and just God. Yes, all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard, but the law also reveals that the soul that sins shall surely die. That is God's justice. He is a holy God. He does not look over sin. Never. There will never be one sin that goes unpunished, never, because he is holy. 
But God revealed through the Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There's the wages. Not just physical death, but even spiritual and eternal death, as the Scriptures reveal. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. There's one of those conjunctions, those divine conjunctions, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This gift of eternal life, this gift of forgiveness and a new life is only through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ took on human flesh. He became a man yet without sin. And he died on the cross. He is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he satisfied God's justice. He took the sin so that those sins are now paid for for everyone who would believe upon him. He paid the sin debt in our place. And that's why in the previous verse in Isaiah 53, it says, verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. You see, there's healing in Christ, not One day we'll be healed physically when we stand before him. And we all look forward to that day. But we have something better right now. We are healed spiritually through Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. And we've been brought into a relationship with him. Folks, this is Yahweh. Can you say, Yahweh is my shepherd? You see, Yahweh is the one that took on human flesh. That's what Matthew 3 reveals. See, the one that John the Baptist would prepare the way for in Isaiah 53, or Isaiah 40, excuse me, is called Yahweh there. The Lord, all caps, the eternal self-existing one took on human flesh and took our place. Have you trusted him is he your shepherd i challenge you this morning through him you will find rest for your weary soul you will find the peace of god that passes all understanding you will be revived restored to life let's pray God, thank you that you're the good shepherd who has given his life, your life for your sheep. And God, we look to you this morning. Lord, as your children, may we be faithful in your word. God, may we feast upon it so that we lie down in the promises. And may we be led along by the spirit of God that illuminates your word and gives real peace. God, work in our hearts as we continue in this service right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.